This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. But we're in a series called uh, Formed, which uh, you feel like, oh, we're still in this series. Yes, we are. We will, we will breathe. We're going to stop and do some other things. But we're still in this series, Formed. And we're asking the question, how can you be changed to be more like Jesus? How can you be formed like clay, like, like a, a, a clay in the hands of a potter, that's the image behind, into the image of Jesus? And we've identified, just to catch you up, we've identified uh, four, five different ways. So we talked about, we've talked a lot about how you're shaped by the story. Christopher last week spoke about how we're shaped by the story of mission. We've talked about the shape by the story of the cross. How we, we, we don't, Jesus doesn't inhabit our stories. We inhabit his story, part of his big story of the Bible. And, and we're shaped by those stories and the worldviews we have. We're shaped by our experiences, the significant moments of our lives. We've talked about how we're shaped by uh, moments of encounter with the Holy Spirit. We've talked about how we're shaped also by trials and difficulties and sufferings and how they, both of those, high points and low points, God uses them to shape us and form us. We've talked a lot, uh, unsurprisingly, at God First about being shaped by community that we're in. And um, I know there's a lot of buzz about community. I, was, I watched a program last night, Naomi was watching this program about people jumping into ice baths and stuff. And they're all kind of sharing their big secrets and hugging each other. And I thought, yeah, there, there's something. People want community, but obviously we want Jesus, a Jesus-centered community. Because it's all about, there's a sense where community helps people to be open and belong, but it, doesn't, it, it ultimately can't heal them. But we've talked about how we're shaped by community. And we're encouraging you at this time to get in a God-first community. We are hoping to launch some, some more in uh, September and we're encouraging you to get in a three with somebody uh, and um, and just share your life with them and we've talked a lot about uh, about practices uh, Tom uh, uh, Tom Bradby I'm trying to catch him he's probably out with the kids Tom Bradby spoke about how we use our phones and how our phones soak up all our time and the the practice of picking up your phone shapes you and forms you we've talked about the the, the practice of confession the practice of being open we've tra- talked about those different practices and the practice of meditating on scripture looking at for a passage looking reading through finding the bit that God speaks to you maybe texting that to your friends but what we haven't done of the five we've done we haven't talked about uh, our loves and in the next two weeks I want to talk about our loves I want to talk about uh, the deep desires of our hearts So um, let me pray and we'll go to work. Father, Father, just easy to to see what we appear to be, but Lord, it's harder to to look on the heart. What do you say about David, that you don't look on the outside appearance, but you look on the heart. And you describe David as a man after your, your own heart. Lord, I pray over the next two weeks as... We look at the heart, you, you do some heart work. Oh, Lord, you need to do heart work in me. You need to do heart work in all of us. Lord, I pray it wouldn't be just theoretical, but I pray, Lord, we'd understand that we, we want to give you our hearts. As that song says, Lord, you have our hearts. 
So we say, Lord, as we listen, we want to open up our hearts and we want you to speak to us. Amen. So if I were to ask you a question about who you really are, if I was to say to you, how do I get, how do I, what question would I ask? How to get to know you? Who, who, who are you really? What question would I ask? Then I could ask the kind of brain question, couldn't I? I could say, um, you know, what information do you know? You know, do you, are you good at quizzes? We will have a quiz, actually. But, you know, are you good at quizzes? You know, what information do you know? I could, I could ask you uh, kind of what facts and stuff do you know? What, I could ask you some information. What information do you know? I could even ask you what you, what you believe in your head. And most of the time, that would, that would seem like, well, that would be an interesting question. Uh, and, and, and in our culture... Those would be the kind of questions that we kind of define people. What do you, who are you really? Not, not your job or whatever, but you know, who are you really? We could, or what do you believe or whatever. And because our world tends to think as, of, as you as, as brains on a stick, that would seem like the question to ask. You know, what do you believe or what do you think about this or what do you think about that? But actually a better question perhaps would be to ask, who do you love? What are your longings? What are your desires? What are you passionate about? What, what, what things make you happy? I woke up this morning, I, I, I promise to mention it just this once. I woke up this morning thinking, oh, this is relegation day for my team. So me or Anthony Bradbury, one of us, he sports Burnley, I sport Leeds, it, it, one of us is going to be unhappy. So we've already reconciled that in the, in the grace of Jesus. <laughs> But, you know, you could ask me, what are my desires? And you could look at my, my Twitter use and think, oh, my word, you have really got that out of shape, haven't you? Uh, and this is so, so good. Leeds will be relegated because he has to do some whole soul work on me. <laughs> I just know it. I just know it. But, but I'm saying to ask the question, what do you love, what do you desire, what you're excited about, what, what, what do you long for, is perhaps a better question. And uh, Solomon, in his wisdom, uh, in a verse that's very familiar, says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. We'll come back to that in a second. But let me just define. I've, we've used this quote before. And when we, talked, we looked at the heart of Jesus. Remember some years? I remember. Was it before pandemic? Yeah. During pandemic, we looked at the heart of Jesus. And Jesus describes his heart as gentle. He says, I'm gentle and lowly of heart. And in that book, Gentle and Lowly, uh, Dane Ortland, great pastor from the States, put this. One thing to get straight from the start is that when the Bible speaks of the heart, it's not speaking of our emotional life only, but of the animating center of all we do. Your heart is what gets you out of bed in the morning and what you daydream about as you drift off to sleep. It's our motivation headquarters. The heart, in biblical terms, is not part of who we are, but the centre of who we are, the heart is what defines and directs us. In other words, so you want to find out what a person is, you want to find out what defines them and what directs them and, and what motivates them. And, and so, so Solomon says, above all else, guard your heart. In other words, he's, he's making a priority, priority call. He's not saying that you don't have to look, about, look at, after other things. That, that, that there are other things to look at. But, but, but ultimately, he's saying, above everything else, in the things that you look after and guard, the thing you should look after and guard is your heart, because out of it flows everything. So, and, and you might say, whoa, hang on a minute, but surely you should look after your thinking. And the Bible does say that mind, your mind does matter. What you think does matter. So, but, but, but I think Solomon's suggesting that perhaps it's beneath... Looking after your mind is beneath looking after your heart. But Paul says in Romans, do not conform to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by renewing your mind. And, we, and when we talk about story and when we talk about those things, that is your mind. It's kind of what you believe and what's important to you, those kind of things. But it's, uh, and, and, and so we, want to, we are transformed and renewed by that. But actually, I believe that there's, there's a deeper thing. And if you go back uh, a, a verse in Romans 12:1, it says, Offer yourselves as living sacrifices. So there's a sense where, you, you know, what you think matters. I mean, it does. Doesn't, does, doesn't what you think matter? I mean, we're constantly bombarded and told how to think. But I think there's, there's something beyond just mere information when that drops, as it were, drops down into your heart through the unguarded borders of your heart where you start to believe things. We need to have an engaged mind, uh, an informed mind, says Tim Keller. We must not settle for an informed mind without an engaged heart. So please don't hear what I'm saying when I'm talking about the heart. I'm saying, well, let's just have a Christianity that does not based on any kind of truth, that's not based on understanding and belief, not based on the Bible. We just kind of just have this emotional heart, Christianity, soggy, kind of believe what you want. Kind of. No, 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 we're not saying that. I mean, you probably won't be part of this church. If, if you, you know, we, we, it's clear that we, we want to be a people um, that uh, believe uh, truth, but we don't want to have our hearts uh, unengaged. And, and when, when we're talking, and, and you know, when I'm doing a talk, I, I am engaging with your brain. Firstly, I am engaging with your brain. I am trying to engage and get you to think. And, and you might think, well, he talks for a long time. And, you know, you have to think hard. It's not just a little kind of pithy little idea. No, I'm, I'm engaging your brain. I'm trying to challenge your brain because culture's trying to bra- uh, challenge your brain. I was joking with a, a teacher at the school where I'm a governor. And we were talk- I said to him, we talked about brainwashing, and I said, well, as a Christian, what I'm washing my brain in is probably just better than what the world is washing their brain in. And he just laughed, you know, we're having a little glass of wine or whatever. You know, and I think, so everybody's been brainwashed. You know, it's what are you washing your brain in? And so we, we, want, to, we want to engage the mind. We want to, to, to communicate information uh, and truth. Say yes? Yeah, okay, we're convinced about that. Good, so that's my caveat, so you don't get me afterwards and say, Ugh. no, but the reality is, I know that knowing something doesn't make me do it. Yeah? Knowing something doesn't make me do it. There's a gap between what we know and how we live. Some are nodding, some are not so sure. They're worried. If you nod here, it's not going to ha-ha. If you don't. No, but, but it, there's a, so here's, here's the thing. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Who knows that? Okay, who's got some work to do? <laughs> I do. So I know it, but I don't know. You know, you, you say, you know, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Give generously. Be generous. And you'll think, yeah, I want to have a generous heart. But when the time comes, you're like, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about just church. I'm talking about generous heart. We know that, don't we? And there's this kind of disconnect between what we know and how we live. And, and this book, um, oh, I didn't even bring it. Yes, I did. I wouldn't recommend you read it, but I'm just telling you where I got a lot of my ideas from. It's quite philosophical. He's a philosopher. It's called James K.A. Smith. Christian, a philosopher. And he, in this book, he talks about you are what you love. And he talks about this gap. How do we close the gap between, how to close the gap between what we know and what we do? And I think being a disciple... That's a challenge, isn't it? Because I know, and most of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been around any time at all, you know how a Christian should live, yeah? Is it, you, yeah? 
My problem is not that I need to know more information. My problem is I need to do the information I, I know, yeah? You know, we need, as, as Tara spoke, we need God to unlock the doors of our heart and let life pour in so we transform. Say amen. There's a gap between what we know and what we, we do. And I don't know whether I'm stealing this passage out of context. And as I read it, you'll see my dyslexia to the front. But I think Paul, when he talks in Romans 7, he's kind of wrestling with, well, I kind of know the law, you know, how I should live, but somehow I can't do it. And he's saying in Romans 7, the answer isn't just willpower and more knowledge. There's something else at work. And so let's just read what he says, because this doesn't, I don't think this should, this shouldn't be the normal Christian experience if we allow God to work on our hearts. Let me just say that again. This should not be the normal Christian experience if we allow God to work in our hearts. It only becomes a normal experience if we try and live the Christian life by just ideas and willpower. So let's read it. Oh, it's there already. You've already read it. Oh, I've lost all the tension. Never mind. Uh, Why don't you read it with me? Because I can't read it on my own because I'll get the doobie-doobies wrong. Okay, read it. let's read it together. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. But I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. You're helping me. (laughs) I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me waging or against the law of my mind. In other words, I think Paul's got this, I know as a good Jew, I know the rules, I know what to do. But, but actually just trying harder, just trying to do it, I find something else at work in us. Uh, the Bible calls that your flesh. You know, it's, it's the, the kind of the desires of your, of your kind of person that are waging war. And he says, I, there's a law of, that's this, but actually somehow there's this other law of my heart that's, that's, that's trumping it. There's another law working me, waging war against my heart, yeah? Okay. So let me just say two things. First of all, you have to believe in Jesus to have a new heart. The first thing, you know, let's, let's get the gospel clear, what Jesus does. He gives us a new heart. It's absolutely critical to understand. Don't go away thinking that if you just let, get in touch with your heart and do these kind of spiritual rhythms and practices, that suddenly, ba-boom, you're going to be able to change. The, part, the first problem is you, you need a new heart. You need a change of heart. When we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about, he's not just talking about, Jesus doesn't talk about behaviour, but he's upstream, isn't it? Into the heart. Don't look at a woman with lust. You commit an adultery in your heart. And he does that. Don't serve two masters because in your heart you can't have two treasures. Yeah, you understand that? Yeah, and so Jesus is, is doing that and saying, look, I, I, I want to be a transformation of the heart. And a brilliant passage, uh, we read it here often, Ezekiel 20, uh, 36, 25 says, I will cleanse you from all your impurities, that's your sin, and from all your idols. Idols are those kind of deep desires that have got out of shape. We'll come back to that in a minute. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone. And give you a tender or a heart of flesh. I'll put my Holy Spirit or my spirit in you, my life in you, as we've just heard prophesied, and move you. Say move you. 
move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. In other words, in Ezekiel is this prophetic word that actually God is going to do something in our heart that moves us rather than just give you the laws. So they had the laws, but they couldn't do it, could they? Problem was, their heart needed changing. Becoming a follower of Jesus, you need a new heart. But if that was the case, we'd all be perfect, wouldn't we? Because it's just not that. What you've then got to do is to work your heart. And I would say, as followers of Jesus, we cannot think our way to Christ-likeness. Amen? We can't think our way to Christ-likeness. James K. Smith, in the book I've quoted, says, to make disciples, we need not only to teach the mind, but we need to access, access the heart. The, the word's got to go in. So I've, I, I worked with a few examples of these, and they may or may not work. Okay, so I'm a geek and a geographer. So here's this, a map. Anyone been orienteering? Nobody does it anymore. Oh, yes, Tom. Love a geek. Love you, Tom. Okay, this is, this is called a map, you know? It's got a map. So I know it's all sat-nav these days. They're all double-sided these days because they're trying to get to do it. I've just got the app, actually. OS map app. Because friends of mine say, you need this app. I went, yes, I do. <laughs> so this is the map. This map contains information about where you are located. This is the Cotswolds. Uh, this, it cont- inf- contains information about where you're located. Now imagine you're going on a walk with somebody and you're basically... You found the little route you're going on and you sort of think, right, okay, we'll come up here. And it's not quite so easy, is it? Because you kind of look on here, it looks quite easy. Paul's noddy, thank you. Uh, you. You go here and then you think, well, are, we, are, we at that, are we at that bridge or are we at that bridge? Is that bridge, that bridge or that bridge or that bridge or that bridge? Yeah, you get that? Yeah? So you think, wow, well, man, I, 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 ah, now what I really need, I need a compass. I need a compass to... I've got a compass, eh? How geeky of me. <laughs> I need a compass. And what I'll do is I'm going to like line up. Ah, that's, that's, that's where the map should go. And that's where I'm trying to go. You take a bearing. Happy days. Yeah? Now, sometimes, have you ever tried... Has anyone tried, I'm going to ask Tom here. Have you ever tried map reading or, 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 or doing a walk in the dark? Foggy, that's a great answer, foggy. You've done it when you fog. So I've been on a walk in the hills with fog, and then, the, and then fog comes down. And you're looking at your map, and you're... <sighs> because you just don't know where you are, do you? you? You've got to have that compass, and that compass has got to be aligned. Okay, I asked, here's a quiz question, it's easy. Uh, Zach Bonington and I asked him earlier, so if no one answers Zach, you can shout out. Okay, so in this little story... What is the head and what is the heart? The map's the head. Compass is the heart. Yeah? So you can have all the information about fall of Jesus, but if your heart is not calibrated, if your heart is not aligned to what Jesus wants, you will end up in a mess. Our heart is what defines and directs us. I mean, follow your heart... Seems like a great mantra, doesn't it? Follow your heart. Uh, but it sounds good, but it leads you to all the wrong places. You know? Yeah? yeah? Following your heart. If you follow your heart, you're going to... It's basically saying, oh, I've not really got a calibrated compass. I'm just spinning around. You know, when you put a magnet next to this, it spins around. That's what people in life are like. You know, I could tell you stories I met with... No, I won't tell you that story. I'm tempted to tell your story, Paul, about 
<laughs> but I won't. I met with Paul Hunt for breakfast and he told us a story about culture that you just think your head spins. Oh, your head spins. There's no orientation. Nobody knows which way is up and down and what's right and what's wrong and the compass is spinning and we're following our hearts into all kind of crazy places, yeah? Following your heart, it may sound a good mantra, but we're saying no. And what happened is the human heart actually follows, tries to navigate, but it's actually navigating in the dark. It navigates in the dark. Paul says in Romans 1.21, Romans 1.21, for although humanity knew God, I think it's talking about the first humans, but it's also talking about us, for although humanity knew God, they neither glorified God. That, That means they didn't think he was really valuable, really worth it. As God, no gave him thanks, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Which created thing do we worship? Ourselves. I was listening to George Benson, do you know that? Song, The Greatest Love as a Driving to Church. Anyone listen to Radio 2 is driving? The greatest love. Come on, help me. Of all was hat. What, and what did he say? Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. No, 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 no. Tim Keller says we exchange. We exchange God with another object because we deem deem that object is more desirable than God. And sometimes ourselves, but it's also, so he says, it could be our careers, our husbands, wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, future romantic partners, popularity, skills, intellect, money, entertained, uh, prestige, and so on. The moment we make that indulgence in disordered love, the moment we make that indulgence in disordered love, in other words, we orientate our heart the wrong way, the object of our worship changes. I'm going to talk next week about worship in more detail. But Augustine of Hippo said, the essence of sin is disordered love. It's the inner compass of your heart pointing the wrong way, looking the wrong way. If only I had that, if I desire that, if this happened, if this happened, as if I'm, we talk, talked about it on, uh, um, on Alpha, you know, that if you get to the quote I've used before, that if you, a friend who's been working in business, climbed, came to his friend Charlie Mackesy, who's an artist, and said, Charlie, I've climbed to the top of the ladder, I've got all the money and power and influence I need, but I've got to the top of the ladder and realised there's nothing there. His worship was in that direction, but he's worshiping an idol, a false god. So, Solomon, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Let me just give you a couple of illustrations to try and understand about how do you, how do you look into your heart. And the first one I've checked with Naomi, first one is about when, we're on sabbat- when I was on sabbatical, it's about five years ago now, isn't it? We're on sabbatical. Um, the, the, the church recommended I got marriage counselling and I don't draw any wrong conclusions from that. It was just like the thought, yeah, it'd be really good to just have an MOT and a catch-up. It was really good, wasn't it? Yeah, we've got a good marriage, haven't we? I paid her. I paid her. We've got a good marriage and, you know, we thought we'd go for an MOT top-up. And, um, and Naomi's in the, saying, she, I've said, uh, she's saying, 
They're saying, well, what, they're asking that question, who you really are now, I mean, what do you, and she, what do you want? And she said, I want Howard to cherish me. And then they said, oh, how's that going, Howard? <laughs> and I went, uh, to be honest, I don't really know. It's not really second nature to me. I don't, I don't really know. And they're like, aha, uh-huh, tell me about your childhood. You know how it rolls? So they talked about my mum and dad. My mum and dad, lovely, loved Jesus, really lovely couple, both saved, both loved Jesus. But they never, ever, never, ever showed affection to each other. Maybe that was just the 1950s and 60s or whatever. They never showed affection to each other. So what happened is I'm growing up as, I'm growing up as a kid. My heart is being taught or not being taught. It's, being taught. it's not being taught how to show affection. So we're talking this counselling thing and saying, you, why, why can't you do this? Why can't you do this? Because you know you're supposed to. Why, why can't you do it? Because actually for 17, 18, 19 years, with my, you know, 17 years when my mum and dad, my dad died at 17, I was being wired that not to show affection. How do you not show affection? Can you relate to that? Not in me, and you, obviously. You know, and, and people, and I'd say, my mum never ever picked up the phone to me. She never ever picked up the phone. I'd say, there, is two, you, there are buttons, you can ring me. I, and she, she said, Howard, you never ring me. And I'd say, you can ring me. Guess what? Am I very good at picking up the phone to you? Because my heart gets wired. It's not second nature to me. Let's explain that term, second nature, and first nature. First nature is your body, biology, the first nature. So, who's breathing? Okay, were you thinking about it? You are now, though, aren't you? Yeah, this thing, they, this thing in this, where they're jumping in the ice, it's very, very strange. But they're doing lots of breathing. You know, and I think, is this Buddhist? No, Christians are allowed to breathe, it's okay. <laughs> you, know, you know, whatever, they don't have a, a thing. In, but they, they, you know, we, we know about breathing, you don't have to think about it. There's a bit of your brain in, in here that tells you to breathe all the time. And you can be conscious about it, but a lot of time you're not conscious about it, okay? That's first nature. Second nature, though, can be learned. No one taught you to breathe, they just smacked your bottom when you came out and went, ah, and you're in business. You know, but um, second nature, actually you can, be, you can learn. You can learn what to do almost without thinking the right thing. You can learn to cherish your wife almost without thinking. Because some work has been done on your heart. So it's not the end of the story for me because my parents never showed that. But it's like I need to keep doing the heart work. Just understand it's not second nature to me. But I'm better than I was. She'll probably say, yeah, but this is a few areas I needed to work on. We'll talk about that later. So understand this idea of second nature. This idea of second nature, that, that your heart, it's almost like your heart muscle. It's things that you can do to be right. And you know those kind of people, don't you? You know those people that when you speak to them, they're incredibly great at listening. I thought, Stan, what you said about listening was great. You know, they're, they're there, they're fully attentive, and they listen, and you, you, you trust them, and you draw out their heart, and it's second nature for them is listening. Well, you've got these other people who are saying, right, come and take your seats. And you know, and they think, well, listening, they've got to work harder. You know the sort of people, other people, not just me, those other people. You're having a conversation with them and they're all thinking what they're going to say. Listening is not second nature to them. They've got to learn the skill of listening. Say yes. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 so that's the thing. Let me read this. I've used this quote before. It says, um, Trish Warren uh, she says, the crucible of our formation, we use, I think it's such a great quote, we'll use it a lot. 
The crucible of our formation is the anonymous, um, anonymous monotony of our daily moments. In other words, just the water you swim in, the life you're in, they rewire us from the core to see the world a certain way and to desire certain things. It means the habits and patterns of our lives shape the desires of our lives, which in turn take, shape the direction of our lives. Because here the compass. Misdirected loves lead to misdirected lives. I want to do this. This might not work here. It would have worked really well in Manchester. but Okay, so this is an illustration. And it doesn't apply if you're on the front row because it's too easy for you. Okay, I've got 20 pounds. I, I mean, actually, we paid for breakfast. And I thought, oh, what's this? What's this? Oh, it's called money. Real money. Member, member money. I've got 20 pounds here. Uh, put your hand up if you'd like 20 pounds. Okay, great. Okay, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up if you're willing to come to the front for it. Okay, keep your hand up if you're willing to come to the front and kneel at the front for it. Okay, one or two, mostly youngsters, Christopher. <laughs> okay, right, you put, you, you put your hand down. I'm going to ask one of you in a minute. Okay, if you had your hand up, only those people that had their hand up. If I said, come kneel at the front... And I'm going to give you this £20 note, and you can give it to Teens in Crisis or Ukraine. Who feels a bit better about that? Why? Well, Judith from Teens in Crisis does, yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, okay. So what went on there? First thing, you've been taught through your life that this is worth having, right? I mean, I was going to do a fiver, but I thought it's challenging. I better work harder. (laughs) (laughs) So you'd have been taught that's valuable, haven't you? It's worth having, Yeah. All your life you've been taught it's better to have more money than less money. That's your wiring. That's the water you've swum in. That, that's not just here. That's like, whoa, you see a 20 on the, no, on the floor. You're, wow, I want it. Yeah? Okay. And then if you say, um, would you come and get it? You think, well, I don't mind that. And then you say, if I come, I want to come and kneel at the front. There's some other thing going on. Steve will tell us what it is. You're nodding. What's going on when I say come and kneel at the front? Pride, yeah. It's, it's quite humiliating to pride, come to the front. Uh, to, to kneel at the front. Whoa. So why you've been taught all your, you've been taught all your life, haven't you? That, that the way you act and, pr- and things to do that humble you. Don't do that. Don't look vulnerable. Don't say you're lonely. You've got no friends. Don't don't humble yourself. That's not really good. You've been taught to do that. So you think oh, I don't want to. I don't want to humiliate myself because if I come at the front here, I look like I'm needy, and I look like I'm vulnerable. And I've got to hum- humble myself. Is it worth? Is it worth the twenty? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean you. I could make a really snidey comment about prayer ministry, but I'm not. I'm not. That's not the point I'm making here. <laughs> but actually, when I say, would you, do, would you come kneel at the front and give it, to, give it to teens in crisis? I think we should give it to Judith, actually. I don't know if she'll find a way to put it. <laughs> then you suddenly, what's happening? Actually, another thing you've been taught, it's good to look virtuous. All of those things happened, not in here, but in here. Do you agree with me? Right, who's coming? Amy, I knew if the youth were in. Come on, Amy, come on, let's, let's do that. No, no clapper, boo her. Don't give her any virtue. Okay, go on, kneel, kneel, kneel. Okay, that's yours. You can do with it what you want, but if you want to give it to teens in crisis, that would be lovely. All right, now we can give her a clap. Okay, we're nearly landing. Yeah, we're nearly landing. 
she's just giving it straight back to Naomi. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> Everyone says, now what you did is you got 20 quid from Naomi and you said to Amy, can you ask for it so that I could have it back like a, tr- <laughs> like a true Yorkshireman? No, that's not what happened. Anyway, we've completely lost the point now anyway, but that doesn't matter. Let's land this. Hopefully you got the point I'm making about how you're wired in those negative ways. So we want to wire ourselves in positive ways, eh? Above all else, top priority, guard your heart, don't let things slip in to shape it and mould it, for everything you do flows from it. We don't just want to know Bible, do we? We want to do Bible. We don't just want to know what it is to be a Christian, we want to do what it is to be a Christian, yes? So that's what we're doing. So I'm going to give you a couple of quotes from the Bible, and then I'm going to give you a couple of quotes from K.A. Smith, and then next week we're going to really, really dig into it. So you think, oh, I'm not coming next week. Enough said. Okay. So Colossians, I know you're away next week. You're allowed. If you come from America, you're allowed. (laughs) Or from Farnham. (laughs) Okay, so let's read these. Paul, Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then... You have been raised with Christ. In other words, you've had a new heart. God's done something in you. You're a new creation. Since, you've, since that's happened, read it with me. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, so minds are still important, minds on things above, not earthly things. Get the compass, get the compass of your life, and you set it each day. How do you do that? We've talked about it. You turn off your phone. You might read your Bible on the phone, in which case you're allowed, but you're not allowed to go on Twitter and see who leads the selling when they'll be relegated. Oh, no. Okay, so you set your compass and you say, Jesus, you're here. Now I'm here. I've been gone. I've been wandering off the map. Now I'm here. You set your compass. You say, Jesus, you got on my heart. Now what do you want to say to me? You read your Bible. Something shines out. You meditate on it. Say, God, work that into my heart. You pray, Father, work this. You say, Father, bless my family. Father, let us not be subject to this. Let us not spin around like the world. Lord, give us a building. Bless us financially. Get people on Alpha. Save people. Whatever, you do that. But that's, you orientate, you orientate what you do that each day, yeah? Set your mind on things above. Now, I, this is not a slam, but I thought it's quite funny, actually. And maybe it is a slam on Tom. Uh, everybody in Glasgow was having, I went to every house, every house in Glasgow was having an extension at the back. You should be in Glasgow, man, doing a business. And bifold doors, yeah? And I thought, how has that happened? I mean, I, I've got nice doors at the back. Everyone's got nice doors at the back. But it's like, who told everybody to do that? I, I'm not slamming on that. Are you allowed? If you've done that, you know, if you haven't done it, get with the program. <laughs> Tom, TJ8 building, limited. <laughs> how did we get that? How did that happen? I don't know, but it's suddenly it's kind of happened in there, hasn't it? We're all doing that. Anyway, what I'm saying is, don't... You know, don't set your heart on that kind of space. Even if you can have that space, but Lord, above all, let's set your heart on him. Yes, amen? This passage, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Sometimes you go to churches and they say, delight yourselves in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of, the, of your heart. And you drive away in a nice Volvo like me. Yeah? No, that's not what it's saying, is it? What it's saying is, if you delight yourself in the Lord, if you set your compass to delight in the Lord, he's going to do heart work. So guess what? You desire what he desires. You've become more like Jesus. Delight yourself in the Lord. We'll talk about that next week, worship. 
and he's going to give you the desires of your heart. Suddenly your desires, it's not going to give you the ungodly, disorientated loves of your heart. He's going to orientate you. Guess what? You're going to be happy then. You're going to be full of integrity. What you want and what you're getting is full of integrity. Let me give you, give you two quotes. And then we're done. We don't need some new program or novel formula that solves the problem of discipleship. In other words, this gap about what we know and how we live. Like the spiritual equivalent of weight loss pills that you see advertised on telly. And obviously he's a guy like me and he says, if only. To the contrary, it's ancient. The church's worship is the heart of discipleship. The most potent, charged, transformative sight of the Spirit's heart work is found in the most unlikely of places, the church. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Say, Lord, you've got my heart. He goes on, he says, the formation, yeah, band, come back, yeah. The formation of the heart is a life-encompassing Monday through Saturday practice. The week-in, week-out journey. But it radiates from and is nourished by the Sunday worship life of the congregation gathered around the word and the table. There is no sanctification without the church and you might think that is the worst thing because we've got this idea that, that church is about something happening in here. You're earning points or you're learning information. But no, you come here because we want your heart. The Lord wants your heart. When you come and worship and lift your hands and say, Lord, I have my heart. When you come and respond to pray, say, Lord, I have my heart. When we break bread together, that practice is saying, I need you to form my heart. I don't know how to love, Lord. I never saw it in my family, brokenness, the way they related. I never saw it. I need to know how to love. And then you see such love as this. That Jesus gave his own body broken on the cross to put a new heart in you, to put a new spirit in you, poured out his life in you, opened the, the door for you to receive a new heart, to receive new life. And, and you say, I need it every day. Just like the food you eat shapes you. People say you are what you eat. In this case, it's true. We are what we eat. Jesus, we thank you that you died for us. Thank you that you've forgiven us. Lord, we come this morning to the table and say, do heart work on us. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to put our hands up in school and say, hey, why aren't you anxious in exams? And we want our friends to say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. <laughs> I dwell in the shadow of the Most High. He's opened the door of his life for me. So we come needy. And it's a little bit embarrassing, perhaps. But we come because we say, Jesus, it's you what we want. Steve, in our prayer, talked about Martha and Mary. He said, Martha, you're worried, worried about so many things. Your compass is spinning, girl. Howard, you're so worried about so many things, getting people in the right seats. Da, 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 da. Your compass is spinning, fella. Mary sits at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says, you've chosen the one thing needed. We say, Jesus, we thank you. You're the one thing needed. So we come and say, shape our hearts this morning afresh. Amen.